0: welcome to another edition of the Red reporter podcast uh, I'm your host BK and uh, alongside me in the studio this week uh, as always we have Scott
1: hello everybody Scott, how are it's we uh, it's going pretty well how was your uh, how was your all-star break
0: fantastic I, I absolutely loved uh, having the all-star every the all-star weekend I should say in Cincinnati um, had a lot of fun just kind of participating in the stuff I didn't go to any of the events but just kind of Enjoying the atmosphere. Yeah. They should and, do it here uh,
1: every year.
0: I, I think so. I think that'd be good. But uh, we have uh, two on the phone this week. Uh, as always, we have Wick Terrell. Wick? Hey, guys. How are we doing? Good.
1: Groovy.
2: Yeah. I only got asked, like, I think, on two separate occasions about the All-Star game from people that assumed I was in Cincinnati, which was awkward to try to dodge. But, uh, yeah, it seems like you guys got quite the, uh, quite the event
1: over the last few days. Yeah, yeah, but half those invites that you got were, like, weather uh, permitting, though, right?
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also on the phone this week, uh, our special guest, we guess you could say.
1: Our first two-time
0: guest. Our first uh, multiple guest. Uh, you know him as the uh, statistician from Fox Sports Ohio and uh, the uh, editor emeritus of Red Reporter, uh, Joel Luckup. Joel, how's it going? Hi, guys. Hi, Joel. Cool.
3: I I guess I am a multiple guest gasm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for for
1: joining I, us multiple times, we actually have a spare extra large red reporter t-shirt. We can Awesome. They're all extra larges. I'm
3: not I'm not sure I have a red reporter t-shirt,
0: so that would be pretty
1: cool. Tell uh, you the truth, neither do we. I, mm. Oh. I
0: I not only do I have a red reporter t-shirt, I also have the limited edition dorky
1: for corky t-shirt. Ooh,
0: nice.
1: Yeah. Do you have the still uh,
0: available in the Red Reporter store? Do you have the gay for J one as well?
1: There isn't one. Is or there? the or the even rarer Corky Miller or Fuck Blast shirt. <laughs> Is that a thing? Yeah. Oh, I don't have that one.
0: I need to Is I need to talk right? to Rand about this.
3: I'm I'm actually wearing the MLB.com t shirt that I won for answering the very difficult trivia question of this man known as the Say Hey
0: Kid was also known from catching baseballs and, as a basket catch. Ooh! So way to really challenge me there, MLB.com. So, I, don't, I don't know. I, so that, that can, like, do you did you have to like? Did they know that you were you when you no, got to answer that question? Because no, no they stood. They, um, I had to stand in line, and so it was just like general
3: public. And there were some actual questions that I mean, I knew. I, I'm not trying to brag. I knew pretty much all the questions, but there were some questions that wouldn't have been completely obvious to a, a fan, or, you know, just a general fan. Right. Blame <laughs> uh, him. By that uh, day in 1954, when Mays really made his basket catch. How many F-war had he already recruited? <laughs> right. So, you know, something like that. Well, I mean, it's, you know, that's the kind of, it, like, a lot of the questions, I was hoping that it would have been more, one of the more challenging ones, and then I got up there and it was, like, you know, that obvious
0: one, but whatever. And, and they would have, you, you would have been a hero, and they would have been, well, yeah. Taking I mean, I, I, you on off of the stage on their shoulders. and uh, Oh, yeah. At the very least, they would have been an envy of my uh, enormous knowledge of baseball. Right. That's kind of your job at this point. Right. So, uh, but, I mean, the big news, obviously, we are uh, recording this on the Thursday of the All-Star break. Um, the All-Star game was just in Cincinnati. Um, you know, FanFest, they had most of the downtown... There was events going on all weekend, uh, Home Run Derby Monday, All-Star Game Tuesday. Seemed like a pretty big success for the city. Uh, Red Reporter Podcast Thursday. Red, Red Reporter Podcast Thursday, you know, just it was, like we do.
1: It was successful enough, but not successful enough to save Toby Keith's. I love this bar and grill. So, yeah. you know, that is... Actually know, just very successful, man. Yeah, yes, I, I exactly. think it
0: actually got the job done. Actually, I, so I drove by it the other day... Like right before the game, I drove by Toby Keith's this bar and grill, and it was like packed full
1: of people. And it's then, Toby Keith's, I love this bar and grill. I don't love it's, that bar and grill. Well, you say that. I mean, you're not George Grant. This it. isn't the best sports <laughs> show. Period. <laughs> I'm, I'm say not the say entire it. name.
0: I don't. I don't understand the question, and I won't respond to it. So uh, it's a victory for Blue. There, there was there was all kind of uh, people there though. Like I can't believe that it's closed already. Somebody must have made a lot of money, Toby Keith, you bastard. But uh, so everything went on this weekend. Uh, I was not fortunate enough to uh, to be able to attend the events themselves. Um, I just got to hang out downtown a little bit, kind of take it in, which, which was fun. Uh, Joel was actually at most of the events. So Joel, I mean, let, let's get an eyewitness uh, account. Well, being how, the big week that I am yeah how I, uh, how, I, how was fan how was fan fest
3: i uh, fan fest uh, i didn't go to fan fest until tuesday hmm. so i you know i can't speak for you know every day but it was pretty cool you know it was it was like i mean uh, like a huge Reds fest right the, the cool thing and i don't know if it was like this every day but on tuesday the crowds really weren't that bad um, and so you know you could walk around very easily and you know, move in and out of things pretty well. So I, I really enjoyed Fan FanFest. Um, I'm not sure I could have done FanFest every day that I was there, but I, right. you know, I enjoyed the day that I went. Uh, question. In terms of, like, I mean, obviously there were crowds all over the place. What percentage would you guess were Cincinnati baseball fans that came out that would work for it versus people that actually traveled to Cincinnati from, you know, from other baseball cities? I Uh, At the events or, you know, at the games and such, it seemed to me that as the week went on, uh, I saw more and more people that were clearly out-of-towners. So the first couple days, uh, I think it was mostly like a lot of just Cincinnati people who were coming down to see, you know, the event. Maybe they were baseball fans or maybe they were just people from Cincinnati who wanted to see what this big event in town was. Right. Um, You know, Monday Monday and Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday, I would say it was probably 50-50, 60-40 60-40 Cincinnati, um, but it was, there. you know, a good deal of the people that I saw uh, were, at the very least, wearing uh, wearing the colors of different teams. Um, Something I was having, a place, having it hosted in a place like Cincinnati, that's so
2: accessible from so many other major league cities, I, I kind of wondered when it was all developing and ramping up, how many people would be willing to, you know, make the couple-hour drive down there, because it seems uh, just based on what I was, you know, seeing picture wise on, on camera, that it looked like there was a pretty large turnout from other cities. So that's, that's how yeah, you know,
3: I understood. Uh, and, and some of that might just be, uh, fans from other teams. Cause like, I, I mean, I saw quite a few Cubs fans, um, especially, uh, and I think I just happened to be sitting in the, uh, Kyle Schwarber section. Uh, but oh. on, at the futures game, um, i there was a large swath of Cubs fans in my general vicinity. Um, you know, so that those kinds of things, you know, it, it's not surprising given the number of Cubs fans that would come to Cincinnati when, you know, the Cubs were playing well and the Reds weren't, right. um, you know, so I, I, to say that those were necessarily people coming from Chicago, uh,
1: you know, they may have been, or it just may have been locals who, um,
0: were fans Was well, he? It, yeah, you could have Kyle, been a
1: part of the Middletown. Contingent. Well,
0: that—that's the thing. Yeah. Is it Kyle Schwarber's from like Middletown, right? Middletown right. So, High School,
1: right. I guess, best athletic so, product there since Chris I f- Carter. I
0: figured yeah. he'd be. Just got called back
1: up today, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true.
0: Right. Yep. So that—that's probably explains some of that. But yeah, I—I I, I saw that too when I was uh, just kind of walking around. A lot of lot of Cubs fans, but that's what you would see at any time that they'd be in town anyway.
3: But, so. but I will say this. I did see a large variety of fans. You know, I saw some Oakland and Colorado, a lot of Kansas City, actually.
0: Right. Um,
3: you know, a lot of Cleveland, uh, you know, a few Yankees fans, some Boston. I mean, so, you know, it wasn't you – know, I wouldn't say that it was just, you know, one large, you know, a bunch of people from another fan base that came. Uh, there was a good spread. And, you know, there were, I, uh, I talked to or heard, overheard conversations from people that, you know, it was clear that there were people coming from all over the country. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what percentage came from, you know, outside of maybe a hundred mile radius is, you know, I, I couldn't tell you that. Mm-hmm.
1: So if you were playing MLB fan bingo, how long would it take you to spot enough to uh, get bingo?
3: Uh, well, it depends on how the board's broken down. Well, it
1: six work. by five. How about that?
3: Yeah, it's <laughs> six by
1: five. So, um, you know, um, Reds I, are the free I, It probably space. wouldn't take that long.
3: I mean, it's especially at the All Star Game and at the Home Run Derby. I saw a ton of uh, variety of jerseys from um, from various teams. So, you know, that wouldn't have it wouldn't have taken very long at all. I don't think, if you, especially if you were at the game, mm-hmm. right. And I imagine, like, the red carpet was probably that way as well. Uh, I didn't actually see the actual red carpet event. But things where there were active players, I feel like there were probably more, um, you know, more variety of team or fans at those events.
2: That's great to hear, because I feel like the universal sentiment is that Cincinnati put on a heck of a show that entire, you know, three-day period. And most every review I've seen was... That the city you know, pull out all the stops and everybody can enjoy themselves. So it's it's nice to know that they uh, they were on display for people from all thirty baseball cities as opposed to just everybody in the in the tri-state area coming out and enjoying themselves. Because it, it did seem that the spectacle was about as well received of an MLB event as there's been in recent years. So good that everybody else got got to come in town and experience it. So.
3: Yeah, and you know, uh, being a suburbanite, I don't get downtown all that often, or you know, for a few years outside of um, actually going to baseball games. And I'll say this much: the, the downtown area in Cincinnati is a hundred percent better than it was five years ago. I mean, it's just outstanding. The kind of stuff that they've put in down there, family friendly uh, uh, things look, you know, look. Excuse me, things much look much more like a big city, and uh, it's much more cosmopolitan down there than I would ever imagined it could ever have been now you know it's still midwestern um you know so it's not New York, New York City or anything like that but for the city the size of Cincinnati I think it's done a great job of growing itself and, and developing itself um, to where you know the downtown area and over the Rhine those two things are really you know worth coming downtown for, which, you know, again, you wouldn't have said that five or six years
1: ago. So you can easily get pork belly, but you can't necessarily get uh bone marrow for, exactly. Uh, you know, at a I restaurant.
0: Exactly. I mean, I think, I think that's the thing that, uh, that I come out of the weekend seeing most, most of like, you know, it was a good way for Cincinnati to kind of showcase this kind of transformation that's been happening here the past five or so years. And, um, you know, a lot of people I think coming in didn't really have that high of expectations of what Cincinnati would be able to put on and I think they were pleasantly surprised at, at what they got. So well,
1: I, I think the so city always did, good to see. I think the city did a fantastic job of promoting this. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, leading up to two weeks before the event, uh, you know, they announced like fifteen neighborhoods within the city of Cincinnati that would be considered all star neighborhoods, which mm-hmm. basically allows each neighborhood, uh, you know, just to take a little bit of ownership of this. And, you know, you you drive in O'Brienville and in Walnut Hills and in Northside and you, you see all-star banners. Right. You wouldn't no- normally think that. You'd think that it'd just be relegated to, well, uh, you and, know, below 4th Street. But and, that wasn't the right. case. It's, it's, it wasn't
0: necessarily the Reds that were hosting the all-star game. Right. It, it, was, was, it was It
1: was truly, until, you know, something that, that, yeah.
0: It was cool that they did that. Yeah. Right on. I agree. So, the events themselves. Uh, I mean, do we want to talk about the futures game? You know, the Reds had uh, three three players in the futures game: um, Kyle Waldrup, now fielder for the uh, U.S. team; um, Amir Garrett, uh, left-handed pitcher for the U.S. team, and then Yorman Rodriguez, who everyone I think has heard of by now, uh, an outfielder for the uh, World team. So, uh, I mean, how did, how did those guys look, Joel? Uh, the only one I really noticed,
3: I mean, I, um, I've seen Yorman, and I, you know, he didn't really do anything all that impressive in the game. Right. Uh, Waldrop had a heck of a throw from the outfield uh, that almost nailed a guy. I forget what base he was. I don't know if it was at home or at a different base, but he almost nailed a guy. And I just remember thinking, man, that that like from where he threw it from, I didn't think you know he would be able to. I guess it was to home because I didn't think he'd be able to get the throw there on the fly, or it might have been a throw, I don't know. Um, I didn't realize I was going to be given a report. I would have taken notes. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, Garrett, uh, I didn't have the best angle to really kind of tell anything about how his pitching was doing. Um, so, I'm, you know, it's not exactly like I can give a scouting report there. I was way up in the left field line, or you know, so I didn't really – my yeah. field wasn't that
0: I great. Mean, but. And I I think we've seen a lot of these guys just coming up through the minors too. I mean, there's, you know – Waldrop was with the uh, team in spring training this year and actually got some good playing time. Yeah, so. and then Norman was with, a
1: September call-up. Yeah, and he was
0: with the big league team last year. So yeah, last week, we both got he got yeah. to zero F-backs. Although, yeah, that doesn't really tell you much. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's like Norman, Norman worked, what, two separate three-ball counts. I don't know. He grounded out one of them and I think struck out the other one. Um that's at least encouraging. That's progress. Yeah, absolutely. Two years ago, he made three pitches into a bat before making contact and getting himself out or getting the heck out of the ball. It was about as good as you could expect. And I guess in terms of Waldrop, hearing that he's got an arm that potentially could play at a corner outfield position is always good to note considering I feel like for a while there, I thought he was just nothing but a first baseman. Um, and I know he's been spending more time in the outfield late, but uh, uh, I wasn't sure that was something that was ever going to be Something he could pull off on a day to day basis, but if he's got the arm for it, um, that's that's more than I expected to hear from him. So that's uh,
0: especially that's Great. especially with that uh, that right field position in Cincinnati maybe opening up soon. We'll see. But before we get into that, um, let's go on to let's a talk, little let's bit more talk of about a positive. Thing. Let's talk it's about the home talk. run derby. Um, home run derby, one of the greatest things in Reds history.
1: Well, before this year, it was one of the most boring things that I have ever witnessed. I couldn't right. make it. Like the past five years, I wouldn't have. Been, I haven't been able to make it through the Home Run Derby. I check in like right. I've never for ten minutes. I've not
0: really been a, a huge fan of it either, just because it's. It, in years past, it was the kind of thing where you know somebody would get on a roll. You know, Cespedes would start start up, and he would, you know. He would spend 20 minutes hitting, you know, 15 home runs in a round, and then you're just like, "Well, I just watched 20 minutes of home runs." Like that's the, the, great. the previous format seems like it would have been tailor-made for Joey Votto. I mean, you can take as many pitches as right. you want until you get the one you
2: want to swing at, and then when you do, if you hit it out, you know, it doesn't kind of get your your out total. I feel like he could have taken half an hour and just hit nothing but home runs in that scenario, especially Great American Ballpark, whereas. You know, you, you see the change in format, putting a clock on, where suddenly you've got to swing at almost every pitch. And suddenly a guy like Todd Frazier, who has fantastic play coverage and doesn't really discriminate where the ball is he's going to swing,
0: uh, steps up and just destroys baseballs the entire way through, which was right. uh, perfect timing well, for him and for the city. And I think and another thing that uh, that Frazier did better than anyone else in the Derby was that his pitcher was absolutely on it. His, his brother... I think Charlie Frazier yeah.
1: you know, said yeah.
0: he was absolutely on it. Like as far as getting, getting another pitch out at the earliest possible moment. Cause the, the well, that, rule there was, was in fact at one point at, at after a timeout, the umpire came out and talked to him and told him, you need to wait until I give you the signal. Right. Yeah. I, oh, I'm sure there were a couple that were early. And the reason, and, the, and this is actually,
3: and I think this is true. One of the, Reasons that Frazier and I, I'd love to go back and look. I bet he saw more pitches than anybody. He did. Oh, well, yeah. he did not hit any like any like
1: very many pop ups, and that's what killed Peterson was that he was hitting sky balls yeah. so that right. took forever to come down,
3: and he had to wait until the ball hit the ground before he was allowed
1: to get another pitch. Right. Yeah. How many pitches do you think Charlie Frazier threw <laughs> on,
0: on Monday night? Oh. What? Probably close to a hundred. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, was, uh, that was my guess as well. I mean, if he hit thirty-nine
2: home runs in front of how many other he could have hit, and made contact with at that point, a hundred, hundred and ten was about my estimate. But yeah, I hope uh, little bro bought him a nice big ice pack to go with a nice big steak for winning.
1: Uh, he was <laughs> he was doing his part as well. That's for sure. Well, yeah, I I remember uh, you know just listening to the telecast and. They mentioned, yeah, I know, but thankfully they had other people, too, beyond, you know, Chris Berman, who for some reason now has the same hair as Donald Trump, uh, he... After the first round they did kind of a, a, a tabulation though they didn't do it as a graphic Joel you obviously would have been able to outperform them in that circumstance but uh you know I if I recall correctly he saw about 45 to forty five percent more pitches than the guy next to him that saw you know that was in second so yeah Charlie just kept dealing them and you know he just kept hitting them but yeah
0: and you I know. think a lot of the two You know, let's let's give Charlie Frazier some credit, but I mean, yeah, I think Todd hitting a lot of line drives and ground balls had a lot to do with it. He wasn't, he didn't change his swing to try and hit home runs. He just got tried to get a nice level swing, and his misses were better than everyone else's misses. I
1: think. Yeah. What's a a home run? (laughs) Last round, he
3: must have had five or six balls that took seven or eight seconds to come down. I mean, it, like, I was sitting there looking at, like, from the time that the pitch was thrown, he'd hit it and it would pop up, and then you could sit there and watch the clock and just watch the time, t- time ticking off. So, yeah, that was very much to, to Todd's advantage. And good job on Todd uh, hitting so many home runs so quickly that he couldn't allow Berman to get more than, like, a back or two Yeah. yeah. for the next yeah, yeah. one yeah. So he was neutralized at least a little bit. And yeah. I think that was the great thing about the new format is that it, – it, um, you know, at the old format, if a guy came out there and swung at five pitches and hit five ground balls, suddenly he's feeling pressure because he's only got five more outs left. Yeah. Whereas when you've got four, or, you know, three more minutes left, you can sit there and, okay, take your time, catch your breath, and, okay, now start wailing again, and you can get into a rhythm. And so I, that was one of the big things that was great about the change for him. And, and you look at it, you didn't have anybody just hit two or three home runs in a round. Yeah. Uh, even even that round from Chris Bryant, where he looked like he was only going to hit three or four, he ended up going on a run and hitting five or six in a row, and then mm-hmm. you know suddenly he had eight, nine or ten home runs. So that just made it much more exciting and much more interesting to me.
0: Right. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. It was it was good to see. Like everybody had pretty much a good round. I mean, all the way from even the those that lost in the first round. I think all the matchups were decided by one home run. Right. It was all the The second guy beating
1: the first guy, yeah. Except, except for Peterson, Peterson in the Peterson one. in the yeah. second round, yeah.
0: But in the first round, so like it, it just it was good to see. And I think that they're probably going to keep that format in upcoming years to some way. I know they they edited it for time because of the weather, right? They took a minute like, off, the, but the home run derby ending at ten thirty is a hell of
1: a lot better than it ending at eleven fifteen or something. <laughs> absolutely. You know? I mean, and,
3: it just makes a huge difference. And for Charlie Frazier's sake, if you had an extra minute each oh, on one
2: of those rounds, plus an extra minute instead of the thirty seconds for the uh, for the bonus round, guys going to throw one hundred and fifty pitches trying to pull that off. I mean, yeah. so uh, I think they, they they you know by uh, indirectly, I guess, is the best way to put it. Uh, found the better format than the one that they originally, you know, were were trying to pull off this time around. And, yeah, I I, I was uh, incredibly impressed with the changes, and I
0: thought it was much more functional and entertaining than anyone has been since, I don't even know, since Griffin, maybe. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, moving on from that, I mean, the game itself happened Tuesday. Um, You know, the Reds had two participants in the All-Star game. Todd Frazier started and then went, what, over three with three ground outs. And, uh, Ch- I mean, Chapman came in, pitched the uh, top of the ninth, was.
1: Probably lights had. Out. Yeah, probably had the second most impressive outing of a pitcher that game other than uh, DeGrom. DeGrom, yeah. yeah. Which. Yeah, and that's just, you know, we're splitting hairs at that point.
0: Right, because, I mean, Chapman, Chapman came in doing what we see Chapman doing on a on a regular basis but did it at a national level. And uh you know throwing 102 103 which um as
3: closers are great at doing, he protected a 3-run deficit.
0: <laughs> he did. He did does he get credit for uh for a hold there? I guess. <laughs> but but other than that it was I mean it was a good event for the city, but the Reds really didn't really shine in that event. I wouldn't say.
2: Yeah, I think Cincinnati had a great day on Tuesday. The Reds themselves didn't have
0: a fantastic day on Tuesday. <laughs> right. And I guess it was Tuesday afternoon that uh, Bob Nightingale dropped the uh, the tweet
3: bomb saying that there were rumblings of all sorts of upcoming changes within the Reds organization expected immediately right. after the All-Star game. Which it's all anyone was talking about. Everywhere you went, it was everywhere you went. <laughs> they were talking to each other about it. That's everyone.
1: So That's do we- all they were talking about. So do we want to slip into idle speculation about what that should, what that actually may be? You know
3: what what I'm guessing it was, what I'm guessing it was is somebody probably heard from somebody who didn't really know that, uh, that Brian Price was on the way out. And, you know, one person talked to another person who told two friends and then they told two friends and then so on and so on. Um, I'm guessing that it's, uh, either that Brian Price is on the way out or somebody who, you know, somebody was spouting off
0: that Brian Price was on the way out. Right. Which, and when it comes to stuff like that, I mean, the way that it came out was so vague anyway that, I mean, there's not really any <laughs> way to speculate with it. Yeah. So, And the, the Red Organization could mean that, you know, an usher...
1: Decided well, to quit. The like he, like, he like Jeremy to... could have been classified as that two years yeah. ago. He,
0: he
3: never really even said sources. He said, "You know, it was the conversation everybody, everywhere right. he went, everyone
0: was." Rumor has about, it, or something. Which is such a.
1: Which um, could basically reason. mean a couple of blowhards on WLW said something,
0: right? And it just which, spread
1: like wildfire. That happens. Yeah, like, like when Sean Casey was supposed to come back
3: and fill in for the injured Joey Votto in 2012.
1: Oh, yeah. That's hey, all everybody was talking about. Hey, co- after watching the home run derby, he can still, uh, you know, play first from what it looks like. He yeah. can catch a fly ball. He can pick it, for sure. <laughs> he
0: might
2: be the only person who can catch a throw from
3: me when he goes it's about to go into the
1: fourth
3: row. That was the second loudest applause of the night when everybody figured out that it was Casey that caught it.
1: That's
3: awesome.
1: That's
0: great. Yeah, but I mean I think even if there isn't these, you know, organizational changes, you know, in the front office, I I mean I do expect with, you know, a little over two weeks to go for the trade deadline. Is it
1: Yeah, it's, it, it, right? it's yeah. July thirty first It's July sixteenth when we're reporting. Yeah, so yeah.
0: Two weeks in a day, so
1: yeah. Um, and you know, I don't mind that there won't be giant organizational changes. Before the Reds, you know, make their sales, mm-hmm. because the last thing I would want is somebody like Jockety to be out. And the next logical person to promote is somebody with general managing experience. And who's the only person in the Reds' uh, front office that actually has that experience right now, other than Walt Jockety? There are two. Oh,
0: but yes, the so one, one, is, one is Kevin Towers. And yeah, you're I think it's is Kevin Towers. A lot of around these days. I think, I don't I think, think so. so. Isn't Bavese still in the office? Oh no, no, he's gone. Yeah, Bevesi Bill has gone. Okay, then forget I say anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, Towers came in and took Bob Miller's position. Right. That's right. Um, yeah,
3: but no, I think uh, I think even Cam Bonafe is gone as well. I don't. I'm not certain on that, but I'm the special assistant to the special assistant to the Jew. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it, it pretty much would be Kevin Towers' show to run if Jockey was gone. So that's. Partly why I think that it's very unlikely that Jockety is going to go
0: really yeah. anywhere. When I, I think if you're talking about doing a trade deadline sell slash rebuild, I tend to think that Jockety could do a better job of that than Kevin Towers could.
1: Oh, absolutely. Kevin, Kevin Towers has
2: allowed great players to come to the Reds via trade. I mean, it was him giving
0: up on Trevor Bauer that landed Chu in Cincinnati, so... Sure. You know, maybe if he can find an a equally inept third party, he could wheel that one back in. Did, did, he, uh, did he give us Holmberg, too? Was he still there at that point?
3: Uh, yeah, I think so, because it was, I mean, Dave Stewart was the next one in line, so it would have been, I mean, yeah. Dave Stewart replaced him. By the way, I just want to clarify, I just looked, and Cam Bonifay actually still is listed on the website as being part of the franchise. Yeah, so, Cam <laughs> <Whoa>. uh, Anyway. <laughs> um. But yeah, I, I, I think Kevin Towers is the one that traded Holmberg uh, to the Reds. So,
0: yay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I tend to for think a that no made week. Yeah, yeah, it's true. In, uh In Triple we A. Should, we should point <laughs> out that happened. In, 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 he <laughs> pitched four innings of it, and it was in Triple A.
1: In Triple A with two other pitchers. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wait, was it Singrani and? Sengrati
0: and uh, Lacure had the last two.
1: Yeah. Wait, Sam? Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: He's still, I think he's still throwing 85, and he still has an ERA north of 5.5, but... Yeah. It's a
1: shame. Yeah.
3: That doesn't mean he won't figure out some way to get out. Um, yeah. yeah. But, you know, he's, he's going to have to basically, as they say, reinvent himself.
1: So. Yeah, he's going to have to turn into 45-year-old Jamie Moyer. Yeah, and not forty-eight-year-old Jamie Moyer. Right. Joel, you might know this. Is there a knuckleball
2: pitcher currently in Major League Baseball right now?
1: Dickey, still Dickey. Yeah,
2: yeah. There is still Dickey. That's right. Dickey's what forty.
1: Yeah. Ish. Yeah. Well, he's yeah. different. He doesn't have a UCL.
3: Yeah, that's right. I'm just thinking of you say that. You say that like. You know, so he should be
0: fine. <laughs> we don't even understand why he's able to pitch right now, so the, uh, he's totally going to be okay forever. The White, the White Sox had one at one point, obviously, right? The ways that possibly Stanley Kirk could breathe in himself, and obviously the knuckleball is
2: the first one that popped online for somebody who can't just add five miles an hour of velocity to his fastball, uh, and it dawned on like, you know, the, the age of Wakefield and Charlie
3: Huff and and That's what they, say. They, they, they always say. they always say, if you're a pitcher and you want to stay in the league, you at the very least have to try to learn how to throw a knuckleball because if you can figure
1: it out, you'll be able to stay in the
3: league. Or just hope to hell you're left-handed.
1: Well, what's yeah. Tom Candiotti up to? Wasn't he a pitching coach at some point? You know, maybe the Reds can uh, bring him in as an advisor. He doesn't. He's never been part of the Reds' organization. Well, I know that. Bad. I mean, it's just good. throw money so, at he, the guy. I know. Uh, well, I'm just saying So he's not allowed to be hired by the Reds. So. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, he also wasn't a Cardinal either. So, yeah. oh Or he failed
3: league GM. For, uh, Baseball Savant has two guys that have, uh, just Dickey and Wright are the ones that have thrown uh, a high percentage of knuckleballs. Um, and then the rest are, uh, the, the rest of the pitches that are labeled as knuckleballs are, uh, you know, fielders who pitched. So cool. David Ross, Jake Elmore, Jeff Franker, uh... Um, and Jeff. Wow. Adam Rosa David Murphy, and Nick Franklin. Now those are just, you know,
1: pitches <laughs> that,
3: you know, they don't know how to put proper spin on a ball, so they probably come out with very little rotation on them or something like that. You
1: know? Still two of those are former Reds. And there okay. is still
3: a chance that Skip Schumacher could get on the mound at some point later this year and possibly
1: add to that total as well. Yeah.
0: I I can't imagine a scenario where Skip Schumacher will not get on the mound. Before the end of the red season.
1: Oh, he should play all nine in the game. Why not? <laughs> Given might the fact as well. That
0: the, Reds, the Reds rotation in the second half might be uh,
3: full of guys on innings limits. It would not surprise me if Skip Schumacher gets moved into the rotation.
0: <laughs> 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 they'll, they'll pick up his option for next year to be a middle reliever. Mm-hmm. Might as well. <laughs> so, so, so I found a list. Of uh, knuckleballers active knuckleballers compiled at the beginning of this season, there are 12 players on the list.: Really. And That's, three are uh, are or have been pitching in major leagues. This, I guess is here. Dicky, Steven Wright from the Red Sox, I guess is a knuckleballer.: Also a great comedian. and, and a comedian, a deadpan comedian, and uh, Zach Clark from the Orioles.
1: Course, why not? Who I'm not, I'm not familiar with. Actually, a bunch of them are with the Orioles. But
0: yeah, the Orioles kind of have a uh, monopoly on that. Eddie Gamboa is
1: on their AAA team too, oh, and then they have a rookie. That's their market inefficiency. There might not be a team in Major League
2: Baseball I have watched less of over the last
1: three years than the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, I just
2: want to do my best to watch other teams play,
1: and they were in the, the playoffs. How many years? I'd, I'd go with, well, I'd go with that of the Mariners.
0: See, Ma- I, I think it's in the Eastern Mariners. Community. West Coast games, just because where I am. That's yeah, the thing.
2: Reds games are over it eight. My
0: time. Yeah.
2: Uh, you know, Mariners games actually get a decent decent rotation for me, um, but I don't think I've seen more than two, maybe three Orioles games in two
0: years. So, all right. So that actually brings us to uh, our next topic. So, the trade deadline is coming up. Um, who do we think that the Reds are going to get rid of? Who, what can we expect for returns? Let's let's delve into it. So, obviously, I think the first uh, name on this list is going to be Johnny Cueto. Um, you know, as sad as that is, as great as he's been as a Red, and uh, as beloved as he is uh, by this fan base, I think, uh, you know, the Reds' number one A option has to be to get as much as they can for Johnny Cueto right now.
3: Oh, also, yeah. they're going to trade him last year
0: then? Right. Well, I, I, I say right now, meaning because they can't go back to last year and trade him last year yeah. when they should have.
1: And the question is going to be whether or not the value that they can get for Cueto before the deadline is going to be at or greater than the value that they can get as a comp pick. And that's really, you know, right. what the floor and the ceiling is for him in terms of being traded. Yeah. Uh, you know, what I would think is probably going to happen, you're probably not going to see him get, uh, you know, a return for like a top, a currently a top 50 prospect. So, you know, you can right. put your dreams away that, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, that left-handed pitcher for the Dodgers. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't think those are possible. Wait, wait, wait. Do you think that we could get Corey Seager and Jock Peterson for Johnny Cueto though? Oh, uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, we may fair. have to throw in Skip Schumacher. Only if they throw in
0: Adrian Gonzalez. Yeah. The question, though, that, that's a, that's a, I'm glad you brought that up, Scott. The question is, do the Reds have the ability to leverage
2: the success that Chris Bugley and the scouting staff has had with those comp picks in the past when it comes to those trade negotiations? Can they look up at a team that's offering them a you know, a top 75 prospect at best and say, look, like we got Todd Frazier, we got Michael Lorenzen, we got Jesse Winker. Mm-hmm. With picks... Yeah that we're in that range that we got because we strategically managed our roster well enough. If you're not going to match something like that, we'll take the
1: pick. And that's exactly, you know, and that's exactly, you know, I think that's a very good point and that's almost how I'm thinking about it because I have that much faith in, you know, Buckley at this point to, you know, if they're in that position to, you know, to get the most value that they can in that. Uh, You know, what I would think, what they would probably do, you know, perhaps he'd return like maybe one or two Prospects that are currently in, you know, maybe like just promoted to Double A. Hopefully, one of them is a bat, and hopefully, both of them have enough upside to, you know, at least, uh, you know, become starters in the majors. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't know about that. I don't know. What do you think, Joel? Um,
3: I I honestly, I don't. I'm having a hard time grasping what his actual value is because uh, the, the closer we get to the to the break or to the deadline, that's like what, in two days, right? Uh, the closer we get to the deadline, <laughs> I, I can't tell if the Reds are doing better for themselves because they're probably forcing more teams to make an offer or if they're doing worse for themselves because they're giving him, you know, there's fewer chances or fewer opportunities uh, for teams to have him start for them. So,
0: right. I don't know. I have,
3: I honestly have no idea what they're going
0: right. to get for Johnny. Well, I, I think no matter what, the, the Reds fan base is going to be disappointed at whatever that return is going to be. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think, it, it, you know... Your number, the amount of the service time
2: left is something that gets
0: lost on so many people. And right. Yeah, the, it's, it's going to be... I think uh, no matter who
2: they bring back, it's going to be too few players or... the best guy wasn't
0: good enough but right yeah it it's, not, hasn't been, uh, it's not it's not a top like, 20 prospect so yeah and
1: i you know i'm not i'm not going to go so far as say this is uncharted territory but i am going to say that you know with uh, the number of teams that are potentially in contention you know it is you know there's too small of a sample size at this point to determine what exactly that value would be with so many teams possibly able to make playoffs. Like, how right. many teams in the American League have at least 40 wins? Um, like, every team plenty. in the ALB to make a
2: trade for Cueto and yeah. justify it, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, you're either going to look at this with rose-colored glasses or whatever the opposite of that is. And <laughs> you're going to say, well, you know, all these teams are in contention and that's all we could get? Right. You know, well, and, there's going to but, be that contrarian. Sp- I, I streak do think that
0: that does kind of play into the Reds' favor a little bit. You know, with um, it really kind of is a seller's market still at this point. You know, who who knows if that's going to be the case two weeks from now? But, you know, today on July 16th, it is absolutely a seller's market. And, you know, you don't, I don't think that you have to really worry about the alternative being that the Reds are going to keep him and get the comp pick. I, I mean, I think the Reds are still at a position where they can kind of pit these teams against each other and say, well, we have this offer, what can you do? And with the understanding that they're going to deal in, I don't think the Reds' backs are up against the wall quite yet, which, may, which means that, I mean, I think that they should probably do something sooner rather than later if they're going to do something, but... I, what, I, what I hope that they do, sorry,
3: oh, go uh, what, I, what I hope that they do is something that's more like... Uh, and, and, you know, it's unfair to compare it to this trade, but I, I something that's more like the Samarja trade, right. which is go for a higher prospect rather than go for volume, like, say, the Cliff Lee trade, the multiple Cliff Lee trades, or the C.C. Uh, Sabathia trade. Now, I mean, the Sabathia trade netted um, the Indians' Michael Brantley, so, you know, it kind of worked out okay for them, although he was a player to be named later. Uh, the But if you look at, like, kind of the... Groups of players that were traded for uh, Cliff Lee from the Indians. They, you know, probably the best player in that was Carlos Carrasco. Um, you mm. know, the Seattle when they traded uh, when they traded for Cliff Lee, or the other way around, when Texas traded for Cliff Lee from Seattle, they gave up. Um, you know, Justin Smoke was probably he was the big name prospect in that, and you know he. He's kind of fizzled a little. But they, you know, again, it was four or five guys in there Blake Bevan, uh, Josh Lukey, who, you know, is everybody's favorite. Uh, you know, so anyway, the point being that I would rather, rather than getting four potential prospects back, I'd rather they tried to get a high end prospect, maybe not a top 20, but maybe a top 50 guy, and then, you know, go from there rather right. than, um, you know, trying. Because they, they don't need. They don't need volume. They've got volume. They need some an impact. Um, you know, that's right. their Their ultimate goal out of trading any of the trades they have to make is to get as many impact guys as they can because uh, the impact guys that they have right now are starting to get old or, or uh, not going to be here by the time they're good again anyway. Yeah, and, and, I mean, the Quetta situation is
2: – it really is unprecedented because – Not only is he a guy who's established, but he's also a guy who's in year seven in terms of Major League Service time because of the original contract he signed. So he's got that one extra year of proven uh, uh, production. And he's also still only making $10 million, which in today's economics and baseball, uh, you know, David Price is making twice that right now as he he years is. Uh, free agency. So any team, even the most cash-strapped teams, even the Tampa Bay Rays, can afford to add Johnny Cueto's salary at this point in time. He's literally not off-limits to any team out there. Um, and, you know, even as much as the spath you trade, you trade uh, or a similar comps, even if you want to go back to the share Teixeira fleecing that the Braves threw out, uh, all those came in the previous CBA where there was that draft pick compensation the teams could still reap from trading for a rental player midseason. And a guy of Cueto's accomplishments and cheap salary and talent level hasn't really been moved at a deadline since the new CBA. And so, you know, every time you try to go back and line up, like, what would be adequate return for it, there's not really been one like him.
1: So I I don't know, Wig. I don't know about that. I mean, I would just go even so recently as Lester. Right.
2: Yeah. Which, yeah, Lester. Lester a decent comp. Lester is a decent comp. That's but what
0: right. do we do we remember what the, the Sox got back for Lester? Cespedes.
1: Yeah. Which? Well, yeah, and that so, so that's which, not really a sell. But do they, was more but do the they immediately flip, right? Yeah. But Cespedes, well, yeah, he was for who? He
2: was for
1: uh, Yeah, uh, those were basically two contenders trying to. And, well, one of the teams was trying to improve their. Weaknesses. The other one, I I, I guess Billy Bean's too smart for me. But
0: yeah, and then Cespedes was flipped for uh, Porcello. Okay,
2: yeah, that's right. Who then was signed for what four years and eighty million? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Which, okay. which, which, yeah, and it, it's hard to imagine the Reds doing something like that. that well, I mean, that's not I, really I can't, what imagine, I can't imagine that they would ever trade for somebody
3: like Cespedes uh, in a deal for Cueto, simply because that's not there. There's no there's no end game for them that makes right. sense there, unless yeah. they already have another trade lined up. And again, the Boston didn't trade Cespedes until December, so well, right, uh,
0: they're they're not uh, going to trade for a 28 year old outfield. Right. They're they're looking for prospects, they're looking for we're gonna get this in a couple of years. Which is yeah. what they should be doing, which is what they should have done last year and maybe even the year before that.
2: And even even with the Leicester situation, Leicester was four years removed from a five war season
0: when he was traded, you know? And Cueto yeah,
2: was Quito's right. <laughs> been dominant the better part well. I guess twenty thirteen he was out for half a year, but he's fresh off a season where he was doing exactly last year, but he's been doing this year too. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 I don't, I don't know what to expect. I I know the the best teams are, uh, and the teams that are quote unquote the best fits for Johnny Cueto have prospects that they've basically deemed off limits. And so if you, if you jump down the ladder on their tiers to who's next, it doesn't line up as a guy who profiles as being good enough to be worth Johnny Cueto. Um, especially the doctor's
1: games, for instance. Well, yeah, and, and honestly, can you think of a rotation at this point that would be scarier than, you know, Granky, Kershaw, and Cueto? No, nope. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> that lines up pretty nice for a five-game series. But, so,
3: based on what you've said, and, you know, I talked about what I think, what I would want the Reds to do, I have a feeling that what's going to end up happening is they're probably going to go for a close to the majors, but not as high level prospect, Um, you know, somebody in the Suarez category, uh, you know, plus, you know, maybe another raw prospect that's not as highly rated, but perhaps uh, has some high upside. I imagine that that's going to be something like that. You know, they're going to look for somebody who can fill an immediate need for them and be a competent major leaguer basically within a year or two. Because I think they still have this in their mind that, that they're not doing a a fire sale, that they're not blowing things up. I think that they're going to believe that if they can get just a few pieces that will be ready next year or the year after that, that they can get right back on the road again. Mm -hmm.
2: What I'm going to be watching anxiously is how much of what they do between now and July 31st and technically you know, with with the, the waiver trade period for a month after that, what the returns they get from Cueto and any other person that they choose to trade reflects on Devin Meseropo's currently current situation as well. I mean, they're stuck not knowing if the guy that they signed for a thirty million dollar four four-year extension to be their catcher of the future can catch at all, much less catch half a season. Or if he's going to have to be that left fielder that there's a hole there as well, potentially. So I, I, obviously you want to go out and get the best players available, but if you're stuck trying to get that kind of guy that, Part of his value is that he's close to the major leagues. How do you know what to get when you've got that big of a piece? It's an unknown.
0: And, you know, if, if, if the Reds don't go out and get a catcher in any of these trades, maybe that's a tell, but it's it's right. it's hard to have that big and that important of a piece be
2: a, a question mark when you've also got these other pieces that you literally can't trade once you know how healthy he is, because you've got to do it now.
1: So let's just start, you know, uh, perhaps a lightning round. I'll start, I'll with, name a I red. Mean, there's, a lot of, we, there's
0: a lot of other guys yeah, we need to get
1: to. Yeah, there are a bunch of other people. So, uh, you know, I'll name a red and we will see if we think that they will be traded uh, by the deadline or, you know, in the 15 season as a waiver. Uh, let's start with uh, Mike Leak. Brandon.
0: I, I will say no on Mike Leake.
1: Joel.
3: I'm going to say no, mainly because uh, I think they're going to feel like they need somebody to fill the innings for the rest of the year. And also because I think that uh,
1: they feel like they'll get a decent, as good a pick from that as, as they would and as I, a trade. Wick and, and uh, 140 characters or less.
3: I'm going to say no, but it terrifies me because I don't
2: think he's going to be worth a qu- uh, qualifying offer after the year.
1: 152 characters, but close. Uh, <laughs> Jay Bruce, Brandon. Uh, yes. Joel.
3: Yeah, I think Jay Bruce is going to have more value than people expect. I
1: agree. And Wick?
2: Yep, I think Bruce gets traded, although it might be one of those waiver deals.
1: Okay, and then the big money one is Chapman. Um, Yes.
3: Uh, I think he should. I don't think he will.
1: That's where I'm at on this. What about you, Wick?
2: Yep, I like that as well. I think he should. I'm worried. I'm terrified that they're going to
3: try to extend it this offseason.
1: And the wild card, let's go with uh, Todd let's Frazier. See. Oh, no. Hell no. I
3: don't think there's any chance they trade Todd Frazier. They think
0: about public relations too much. Yeah. The- Gasolini will never let that happen. Yep, Rick? I'll echo that on Frazier, and it's that same thought process that makes me think they're going to want to keep a role as Chapman a lot longer than they probably should. Yeah. All right. Every- every- let- everybody, let's go. let's go one more your wild card pick that you think could be traded that we haven't gone over yet.
3: I'm going to say Joey Votto.
0: Mm You think?
3: Yeah. And, and I've said this before elsewhere, but, uh, I I just want to explain my reasoning real quick. I look at a a deal like the, um, Prince Fielder deal that makes me think that Joey Votto is not untradeable. Uh, I think that there is somebody out there that will be willing to, uh, give up a bad contract. Um, to get a bat like Joe Avato, and then the, I had seen, I saw this somewhere on Twitter. I don't know if a Reds fan tweeted it or whatever, but um, the name that that intrigued me because of his contract is Jose Reyes in Toronto, who he has two years and forty-eight guaranteed left, um, which would be expensive. But he's you know in a league-average hitter, not particularly good defensively, potentially could fill left field. That's my idea. For uh, for a couple years, and uh, the red, you know, if they the Reds will probably have to take a little bit of the salary from Votto, um, but you know, a two year a guy at two years and twenty four million, or he's, it's twenty two plus a four million dollar buyout, uh, two years forty eight million is a lot better than nine years or whatever Votto has left. I don't want to lose Votto. I'm just saying that I think there's that possibility.
1: Yeah, I don't think that they. Well, I first of all, in terms of uh, people that may be a surprise that they're traded. I think Marlon Bird's going to get traded. I don't think that that's going to be that much of a surprise if he does. So instead, I'm going to use that uh, wild card for, I think, Brandon Phillips. I think they might find a team that he'd be willing to waive his uh, no trade for and uh, you know, uh, be able to bring him into uh, you know some sort of uh, playoff situation. So, Wick?
2: Let's see. We've named the first baseman, the second baseman, the third baseman. Uh, the right fielder, the left fielder, the the top two starters that are currently healthy. <laughs> um, I think Manny Parra is going to be a, a name that uh, I mean he's he's got value. He absolutely does, despite the fact that he got rocked in his last start. Uh, if he proves he's healthy, which I feel like he's done, uh, he's a lefty who can throw 94 miles an hour. Um, he's got starting experience, which means he's not you know relegated to simply being a loogie. You know you can get two innings out of him if you need him. Um, he's affordable, and he's proven he can get out lefties and righties. And I, I think that's the kind of guy who's not going to bring a, a great return. But heck, if you can trade Jonathan Broxton with his contract uh, the way mm-hmm. Jonathan did, what two years ago, um, I, I think Benny Parra is inevitably tradeable piece, and we'll have a market for him. Right on. And uh, so I, actually, I actually think that Parra will be the first one to go. Yeah. yeah, I can see that as well. That's that's one of those moves that Johnny can make. That won't signal a full-on fire sale and pigeonhole and him into getting pennies on the dollar for all the other players that he hasn't traded yet that the, the, the vultures will circle for. But we'll
0: also get a one-for-one piece because somebody's going to want Manny Parra. Yep. Right. And uh, I'll I'll actually go with the one position that you didn't mention, Wick, uh, catcher. I think uh, <laughs> I think I think Brian Pena might have some value for somebody. You know, it, it's his uh, contract is up after this year. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy that I think the Reds would like to keep around just as a clubhouse guy. But, you know, you gave Devin Masarocco that contract, and he's having a great year. He could very easily go back up somewhere or, you know, go to the AO where he can take some DH time from somebody. Um, yeah, I think that uh, he could be really useful for uh, a contending team, especially in the AO.
1: And, you know, it gives... It has the added bonus of giving us an opportunity to see what we've got in uh, Tucker Barnhart, right. and you know I Skip Worth he can play a serviceable catcher, right? Uh, I think you know, in, you know as a he's, backup he's it.
0: actually kind of getting hot in Double uh, A I think at this yeah. point, and you know right and it would not behoove the Reds to give Tucker Barnhart the full time job. It seems like they have kind of been giving him starts for uh, more pitchers lately. It's it seems like he's caught, I think, three of the five starters at this point. So and I could absolutely see that being the case.
2: Yeah, and with Pena, if Pena's a free agent after the year,
1: you know, if,
0: mm. if Mesoracco
2: comes back from surgery and says and shows that he's not capable of being a full time catcher, I think Pena's established a pretty firm relationship with the Reds at this point where if you had to go back out and bring him back,
0: even after right. training, that's not something. I, yeah, I, I, I think that they could, they could absolutely do that.
1: Or at that point, we could just bring back Ryan Hannigan. Yeah. Ryan, is
0: Ryan Hannigan even playing in uh, Boston? Yeah, he's back. Is he? He's back. Okay. That's good. He signed for next year, though. Oh. Um, yeah. We can trade Tucker Barnhart for him. right. I'll figure that out. All right. Well, uh, I think uh, with that, we're going to wrap this up. Um, I, I'm not sure we're going to have another show. We're, we might have one more show before the deadline, but don't let us do that. Um, You can, uh, as always, you can find us at uh, redreporter.com. You can find us on Twitter at Red Reporter. Um, Thanks uh, to our special guest, Joel Luckup. I'm special. Thanks, Joel. Hooray. And uh, for Wick and Scott, I'm BK. Peace out. See you. Bye, guys.